Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. It might be morning where you are. Um, it's uh, myself, Open Mike Eagle. This is Secret Skin, coming to you live from uh, London, England. Um, and I'm fortunate to be joined by my good friend, Serengeti Dave. How are you? Hey, buddy. I'm doing great. We are at the end mm -hmm. of our uh, 2016 European jaunt. Yeah, it was a time, man. It was a hell of a time. It was a good time. How you doing? I'm good, man. Uh, I'm excited to go back. Um, yeah, me too. I think we had we had some good some good moments we and did. fun stuff. <clears throat> we did. Um, the last time we came, you guys were reporting about some tough times, and we're happy to say those subsided. Uh, <laughs> it was all a gag, anyway. Yeah, you know, it was yeah. all yeah. it's all theater, yeah. theater of the mind. Um, but yeah, after after that, everything was on the upswing, and uh, we've had some pretty great times. Uh, I'm currently sore because after the Bristol show last night, mm -hmm. uh, we started an impromptu breakdancing circle. Yeah, and um, I was doing my favorite new pastime, folks. I have to tell you guys, <laughs> my favorite new pastime is entertaining Dave. By doing wrestler entrances, oh man, it's on command. It's the best. It's the best. <laughs> I never really knew that these, you know, that I recognize all of them. And uh, man, I, you know, we we were in this uh, hallway in um, Hamburg, yeah. And Mike would just come around the corner with <laughs> with with a new one, and it was a sight to see. And I didn't record it, so yeah. Just, I wish I wish I could like audio do it for you. i don't have the impressions i just know the the, the body movements unfortunately Dude, so theater of the mind just imagine it's pay-per-view material I, <laughs> I was certainly having a good time doing it had a good time doing it last night and we started breakdancing yeah nowhere. my my neck is killing me my shoulder is killing me i have a bruise <laughs> uh, i think i was stabbed once or twice <laughs> so i'm not certain and tonight uh we've had a night off in london um we went to go get dinner in a uh, British sports bar that mm -hmm. advertised itself as a uh, a place to watch the NFL. NFL. There you go. Uh, so we were watching the uh, championship game. Broncos and the Patriots. Right. Because mm -hmm. it's uh, it's like one in the morning here. I believe in the afternoon. Um, it's playing in the afternoon back in the States. But, um, or is it a little after midnight? Anyway. Mm -hmm. Anyway. Uh, we're in there. Uh, staff. I don't know if it's just a regular thing or... If it's just a Sunday night shift, yeah, it uh, it might have been like a a candid camera, <laughs> yeah. possibly. Um, my favorite was the guy who reminded me a little bit of like like a stiffer Dwight from The Office. Yes, and he yeah. was the manager. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, uh, or or he was the he's probably the assistant to the manager, and the manager was the off day. Yeah, for like something. like like he's been gone for months. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And and him being the guy he is, he keeps the ship running. So right, he's the first more, guy there to open, last yeah. guy there to close. Some more power to him. So yeah, I mean the guy the guy just took off. <laughs> you know but um. So we're in there watching the game. Yeah. And it's coming down to the wire, I believe. Yeah, uh, the Broncos are up 18, 12, and there's mm -hmm. like five minutes left. Yeah. And they shut all the televisions off. Right. Right there. They had already stopped serving food. Mm -hmm. So nobody was in there to eat. Everyone who was there was there to watch the game. Yeah. And uh, they were ready to go home. It was it was incredible. I mean, you just shut it off. And uh, I really thought that um, that guy was going to face harm. You know, they were yeah. like, man, we should tear this place down. It was, there was definitely the, the, the hooliganism in the air. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. I, I felt like I was in danger for yeah. a moment. Cause I felt like that guy was going to get beat up. Yeah. 
people were really yelling at him. Yeah, it was, like, it was this guy crazy. got up across the restaurant. Like, wait like, a minute, <laughs> like running like your whole Ultimate Warrior intro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yeah, so don't go to the um, the uh, Farmington if you're in London if you want to watch the NFL because yeah. they're charging people 25 pounds to watch the Super Bowl there. So you might make it through like the first. Three three full quarters and maybe some into the fourth, depending on the halftime length show. So yeah, I mean, if you want to do that, check it out. <clears throat> I wouldn't. Yeah, you might as well stay home. And yeah. Watch it on some sort of portable device. Or Try to do your best. Yeah. Uh, well, we're going home, man. Yeah, man. Uh, spend a time. Uh, it's great to travel with you. Yeah. You know what I mean. Mm -hmm. Got to do this material we just made, and it's been exciting. Yeah. Come do it in front of folks. Mm -hmm. We got a few more dates. Uh, in February, back in the States, we're in Chicago, Boom. Madison, Milwaukee, and Minneapolis. Yes. Those first three dates are with Lizzo in mm -hmm. Minneapolis. And the last one's ourselves headlining at 7th Street Entry. Uh, tickets are available for all of those gigs right now. Mm -hmm. So uh, check us out. It'll, it'll, it'll be the last time you'll, be, might, able, you'll be able to see this. We've so. been discussing this, this. This might be the last time. Yeah. yeah. I mean, especially after all these things that happened on the second half of the tour that we can't really talk about. Yes, it was a lot. <laughs> it was a lot. I'm, I'm, out, I'm a little disappointed. I might edit this part out. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you, you should. I mean, like what you did was irresponsible. And you, you know that bag meant a lot to me. I know. Yeah, That's I mean, why I did it, because it meant so much to me. Yeah, I mean, so, and I got you back, and I, I know that hurt, too, so, fuck it, we're even. Speaking of even, what if I said the Cosby Show? Then I would just have to say the Golden Girls. I'll say a different world. Frazier. Uh, cheers. Benson. Soap. Soap is not one. But Empty Nest. A Perfect Strangers. Uh, head of the Class. Wings. Small Wonder. Different, uh, Three's Company. Different World. Um, three's a crowd. Uh, Maud, the Ropers. Uh, what's happening? One. Webster, Mama's family. What's happening now? Uh, Martin, one. Okay, one. Blackish, Fresh Prince, Modern Families, The Office, uh, Fresh Off the Boat, Parks and Recreation. Okay, okay. One. Um, the Adventures Two. of uh, uh, Kimmy Schmidt. Kimmy Schmidt. Um, undateable. Uh, the Aziz Ansari of the show. Okay, are you sure? Uh, no, it's called. I think it's Louis. Okay. Well, now since since we're doing this, um, two different world. I said that different strokes. Okay. Um, Big Bang Theory. Ahead of the class. I said that one, two. And yes, ah, you got me tired, man. You got you got you got me tired. I sprung I ambushed you completely on purpose. I mean, you know what I'm saying. It's like the bad thing all over again, just verbally. I mean, I don't I don't want to mention that. That's why I'm glad this thing is over, and we don't have to do this anymore. Because I'm gonna watch my wrestling tonight. Hold on, are you trying to steal my gimmick? No, I'm really excited to watch the Royal Rumble here in a moment. It's uh, like a, it's like an hour away though, right? Yeah, it's like an hour away. I'm gonna I'm gonna make some coffee there in, yeah. this, in this hotel room, mm -hmm. and I'm gonna um, I'm gonna stay up and watch the Royal Rumble. Yeah, and then uh, so hopefully I'll just be completely passed out on the flight tomorrow. That'd be great. It's nine hours. Yeah, nine is nine hours. What is your about 15, 15, 16, 17 11. hours? Eleven. You got man, a couple stops, 11. don't you? No, I thought you had a couple stops. No, I don't. I thought you like stops. I don't like stopping. Why would you even say that? Because we took so many stops. 
We well, took so many stops. We took a lot of stops. Because you stop. like stopping. You like stopping. You, okay. You, you uh, told him stops plus two at least. So what if I like stopping a little bit? Then what do you, you want to make of it? And, that, and that's how all that stuff happened. Jeez. Anyway, I'm going to leave because Dave's going to get me in trouble. Um, this is uh, Secret Skin. And uh, this has been Kavanaugh 2016 European Joint. Mm-hmm. Goodbye, everybody. See you later. And on this episode of the podcast, we have an interview with Nick Thorburn, um, an indie rock musician, mostly known for his work uh, with starting and being the musical force behind the Unicorns and the band Islands. Um, he's originally from Canada and um, has had quite an amazing career with the bands that he started and uh, put out some really amazing work. Um, I became aware of him first off through his collaborations with uh, Subtitle and Bus Driver uh, shortly after the Unicorns, and those collaborations were called the Corn Gang. And uh, through that, I became aware of the Unicorns music and then uh, later Islands. And uh, I thought he was a really amazing musician and got a chance to meet him a couple times and also found him to be a super cool person in real life. Um, You know, somebody with with all of the uh, excuses to be able to to act above it all and, and, and kind of uh, be too cool for school, but he's always been uh, super grounded, super, super chill. Um, I got a chance to make some music with him in 2015. Uh, him, myself, and Milo collaborated on a song called Another One of Mine, which is on the Catcher of the Fae compilation that we put out uh, in the middle of 2015. Um, I loved his contributions to that. And I also, you know, I've loved his contributions to the albums of Bus Driver and uh, No Can Do in the past. Um, I wanted to touch on a little something real quick before we go into the interview. Um, I wanted to say a couple words about Cadillac Ron, who's an L.A. rapper who um, lost his life over the last couple of days. I mean, I've been overseas and not really able to get a ton of information about it, but he's a... Uh, He was a friend of mine and a rapper who's been in the scene in L.A. for a long time. One of the first that really reached out to work with me when I moved to L.A. Um, You know, kind of a guy that we would do shows together and uh, hang out and have a good time. We did a couple tours together and we would work together. I believe we made three songs. I think only one of them actually came out on one of his projects. Um, But he was always super cool with me. Um, He's had... Um, a lot of drug issues in the past. A lot of people know him as a, as a battle rapper. Uh, he was excellent in that field. Um, there was there was some press about him in 2014 because he pretended to shoot heroin in the middle of a battle rap once. Um, you know, from my knowledge, that was you know during one of the times where he wasn't doing so well with his fight against drugs. He'd always been up and down. When I met him, uh, he was clean and he stayed clean for a long time, but. Uh, he would have his struggles and um, I'm not certain what the circumstances were behind what happened um, over the weekend, but um, he certainly did live a hard life. And uh, I just want to say a few words about Cadillac Ron, rest in peace. Um, but uh, past that, here's our, um, past that, here's my interview with Nick Thorburn. On the islands and unicorns. This is Secret Skin. 
<laughs> oh, oh shit! That's that's not good. Here, I'm gonna come close. Still to rolling. Yes, yeah, all good. I wonder how, how this will sound. It's very hot. Here. It's fine. No, it's it's you fine. Think that's gonna be okay. I think it's perfect. It's not gonna, it's gonna be too loud. Perfect. Nope, it's great. Um, all right, that's better. Yeah, we can breathe. That's good. Yeah. You know, and I'm recording now, and then um, it'll come in in the middle of a conversation, and it'll be fine. That's what I like to do anyway. Yeah, Mark Marin style. Is that what he? Yeah, I, I guess every most aspects of my podcast are based on his. <laughs> if I'm if I'm to be honest, I can't listen to that dude. Yeah, he's just way too self-centered for me. Well, he's an addict. Ah, so I think you know there's still parts of his personality that are just like feed me. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, but um, he's a recovering addict, right. so he's really genuinely trying to connect with people too. So he's right, like trying right. to get around his own humongous ego. Yeah, it's funny because when you said he's an addict, it made sense because I went to a friend's Fourth of July party one year, and I was <laughs> for some reason I was going to go there earlier, but I stopped in at a friend's place. This is, I'm taking the scenic route on this story, but yeah, go ahead. I. Uh, showed up and all my friends were doing mushrooms and I, I had no intention of doing mushrooms. I was just going <laughs> to stop in, drink a beer with those guys and then go to this party. And I brought all this fireworks that I bought on a recent trip up in Northern California. And, um, I eat mushrooms and then I'm just kind of like, I'm out. But I finally, by the time it wore off, I went and, uh, rolled up with this fireworks. And I guess Mark Marin was outside out front and his eyes lit up like I was holding something that you could just, pump directly into your veins and i was still on the mushroom glow so i was like i don't want these like this is too intense this is this is not my speed right now so i just gave him the fireworks and he was just like a kid in a candy shop he just like oh what's this oh this these ones are great these ones are really good and he just i just watched i was like kind of fascinated because he spent like 45 minutes just obsessing over these fireworks and then lighting them all off like with (laughs) such glee how long ago was this this was a couple of years ago, yeah. two two and a half years ago. Now I feel like I want to talk about mushrooms. Let's do it. I have. I a don't very know if you have anything to say about. If you have something to say about it, well, them. just that I don't do that stuff much these days. I feel like there's too much crowding my head. I did do them recently. It had been a couple of years. It had been that Fourth of July. It just felt like I was maybe not in a good space for a couple of years. Too fragile to get those kinds of insights could you talk about what you were dealing with at that time it's just relationship stuff just bad break you know i made a record about it i keep making records about it (laughs) oh boy yeah i keep returning to that well it's a terrible fruit but it's a fruitful uh place to draw inspiration terrible fruit that's that's good. That's my. That's what I feel like. That's I'm, my next album. I mean, every album of mine is also, you know, it's it's just like it's the same thing. It's yeah. like you find the sweetness of this this terrible plant that won't stop growing, and you juice it, and you make this thing that people like. Yeah. You know? But I often wonder if there is a danger in cultivating this plant. You know I mean? think everyone's trying to just uh, every writer is trying to write the same thing. I think Paul Oster said something like that where he was just like, I'm writing the same book again and again. And you see it with like other writers too, like uh, Philip Roth. They're just writing the same kind of story again and again. And it's like you're just working through some cathartic thing. I, I had a, um album reviewer on my last record um, and it was this outlet that had been reviewing my stuff for a while. 
And so when they said this, I kind of, it kind of upset me until I thought about it, and it made perfect sense. But they were basically going through the songs on the album. This is an album that most other people were like glowing about. So I'm like, yay! You know what I mean? And I'm expecting that this outlet who's been covering me forever is also going to be like, yeah, they're like, okay, this is good, but this song is just like that song, that song, and that song from his other records. This song is just like that song, that song, and that song from his other records. Wow. And so basically the point that they were making was that like I was covering territory that i had previously How covered dare you but just, <laughs> but just you know trying to i guess trying to do it in new ways and i got upset by it because you know i guess in terms of any review you're going to want people to kind of focus on that project and not tie it too much into what you've done before because mm-hmm. it's so difficult to create context that way especially if people haven't heard all this other stuff so it's like why are you even doing that but it after a while i let it sink in it was very true Mm. it was very true like i have like four or five basic song types and they're basically me trying to figure out how to make (laughs) yourself a break no i'm i'm fine with it you have four or five basic song types that's four or five more than everybody else yeah no i'm i don't have a i don't have an issue with it uh when i think of it that way i had an issue with it coming to that realization through reading that particular piece no you know i know i have that thing where i'm teaching my band islands uh a song and it's often in the key of f sharp that's Mm. like a very perennial key that i tend to to write in and i but i think that's nice where it's like oh there's something you can you can see there's like an essence to the work that is totally reflective of the person. I used to think style was such a bad thing and surface level and superficial, but I think style is essential. People need to see your style. There's this comic book writer, Eric Larson. Oh, yeah. And um, when I was in high school, I was reading some interview with him, and he was basically saying, like, style is what you do wrong. And I thought that was really cool. So he's basically saying, like, you know, everybody... In comic book art, for mm-hmm. instance, learns the same kind of basic modes of figure drawing. Right. There's a language then, to that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. And so his style is maybe making a torso a little bigger than it, it is on the model that everybody learned. Oh, on. I see. You know so he's I mean? not he's not putting down style. No, 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 not he's at saying, all. He's uh, saying, I see, I yeah. see. It's like what, you know, your... your Deviation. Yeah. I see. Your I like tiny that. rebellions. I like that. You know what I mean? I, I like yeah, that. I like it too. Islands is Japan. You write all the music for Islands? It's pretty fluid. It depends. Like all, there's some songs that I'll write and then leave bass lines or drum patterns and that kind of thing, and those things that will work out together. There's some songs that it's fully fleshed out, and then there's some recently that we just made two records, and I wanted to leave some room on some of these songs. There's about four or five that were unfinished. And we work them out as a band. Because I've had this band now for... I've had the two brothers, Evan and Jordy, in my band since 2009. And they're, they're the best. And they're incredible players. And they've, they've got great ideas. And I, was, I felt like there was an untapped resource that I wasn't accessing. So for this new record, there was a few songs that I really wanted to write with them. And the drummer, Adam, who's been with us a couple of years now. So that feels really good. It was just like a new 
a new uh, approach to the songwriting structure. Because, yeah, traditionally it's me writing the songs. Do you find that in every band it's typically like that, where it's kind of just like one guy who's like the source of most of the musical ideas? Is that how most bands typically work? I feel like anytime I read about bands in in any kind of music writing, they talk about writing the songs as a group and jamming out an idea until it f takes shape and finds form. And then I feel sad, like I don't have that kind of ability really. Like I sort of do, and I, in the, with the Unicorns, my first band, we did a little bit of co-writing, but with Islands, it's a little more solitary. I mean, they're definitely bringing a lot to the table, but uh, my brain doesn't really function like that. Like it gets too complicated. It's mm -hmm. like too much committee and too much democracy. It just overwhelms me and, and I lose track. Whereas if I'm by myself, I can just kind of go, I can go way faster. I can well, go, I, and yeah. I guess when I grew up listening to bands or seeing bands, and imagining how bands work, I always thought that it was collaborative. The more that I've found out and talked to people, I'm hearing it's not that way really at all. There's usually one or two people who kind of bring most of the musical ideas to the table and kind of dictate. But I've often wondered, does everybody in a band aspire to be that force in something where they feel like, you know, one day or some, you know, they'd like to be this musical force. Well, then they should show up to the table and say, look, here's this thing. To mm -hmm. me, the idea of songwriting is a nebulous thing, like where credit lies with a song. It's very vague and different courts of law determine it differently. But if you have enough clout, like, for instance, Dire Straits, Money for Nothing, mm -hmm. Mark Knopfler wrote that song, and then there was this little sting tag off the top, right. I, want, I want my MP. MTV, <laughs> what's with my brain right now? <laughs> All my MP3. He got writing credit. And I mean, yeah, he wrote that part. But then you see someone like Paul Simon on Graceland, who Los Lobos, that he jacked their entire song. And it took 20 years, I think, for maybe they still don't even have credit. But one of the tracks on Graceland, which is one of my favorite records of all time, he just was like, that's mine now. And then that's his song. Mm -hmm. So it. Not that to say that that's right, but I, I like the idea of like if you're in the room when uh, an idea was created, I think, and you in some way contribute to that song, then I think that's songwriting. I mm -hmm. think when I sit alone in my apartment and I spend hours working out a song and a structure in the beginning, in the middle, in the end, that's the song. That's right. the songwriting. But it is, I love the romantic notion of everyone just counting off and creating something it seems absolutely impossible to me though it does yeah i think there has to be one person steering the ship a little bit okay let's say you do bring a fully formed song to the table and somebody has an idea or suggestion for how it might be changed how is that dealt with with backhanded slaps okay. generally yeah okay. that's me on a nice day you don't want to <laughs> see me you want to see me when i'm really upset uh we take it outside no, it's fine. If someone has an idea, I'm super receptive and open to changes. Usually it's not going to be structurally changed, but um, if the rhythm changes, like there's a song on our forthcoming record called Snowflake, and I did a demo, and then I brought it to the band, and Adam and Evan had a really cool syncopated like polyrhythmic bass line and drum conversation, mm -hmm. and it definitely changed the nature of the song for the better. So you've been through like... A bunch of different iterations of islands 
Yeah. How do you like have a conversation with somebody when you decided to like replace them? Well, I'd made this record without a band. Me and Jamie, my first drummer, and we put this record together real quick and we needed a band to play live and and Beck emailed uh, well through his management was like I want the unicorns to open up for me and we're like we don't exist anymore but Mm. Islands does so we our first show was opening for Beck at this hockey arena in Montreal and we didn't have a band and we just made this record so we kind of scrambled to put this band together and the band turned out to be awesome like we got so lucky we had such amazing players Jamie left and I made a second record with this band with a new drummer and then I just started to feel like I was getting a little claustrophobic and mm. it was it was getting a bit narrow for what I wanted. So what happened was Evan and Jordy had a band called The Magic that opened up for Islands in 2008. These guys opened for me and I was like, fuck, these guys are so good. This is what I want my band to be. I felt like I was getting myself into a corner. And it was a it was an awkward thing because I wasn't sure how to do it. And I, I didn't want to be a dick. But um, yeah, it's the kind of thing where you sound, like, you know. It happens all the time, but there's no manual. There's no guidelines. There's no manual. Thankfully, my girlfriend at the time's dad gave me some advice. He was like, if I can recommend anything, I would say call them. Because I was living in New York at the time, and they were in Montreal. And I was prepared to just write some group email and just say, look, I'm going in this direction. And he was like, you know, in my experience, it's better that you call each one of them individually, which is a painfully obvious thing, but I'm so clueless about social conventions sometimes or just like manners that I (laughs) completely overlooked that possibility and I did and I think it made I think they still don't like me very much for a myriad of reasons my old band (laughs) but I think that was a good move just because it showed them the respect obviously that they deserved I find I had this question here what do you think is your least desirable trait as a bandmate (laughs) total asshole total dictator I mean, are you are you total dictator? Yeah, wow. but but benevolent, of course. Yeah, I've got to have control. Right, got to have control. Yeah, right. I'm open to other people's ideas and suggestions, but the last word is mine. What is your relationship to rap music? Mostly passive. As a fan, I have deep respect for the f- art form, and I was trying to get some stuff going about a decade ago with like on the production side is that the corn gang stuff yep mm-hmm. so you know the corn gang stuff bus driver and subtitle and some other guys we came out to la for a spell in 2005 early 2005 after the unicorns broke up and we decided to morph the band i didn't know what to do i was like is the unicorns going to be a thing and then Jamie and I were out here and we we're like, well, let's do, let's do that thing we always wanted to do. Let's like try to make beats for, for rappers that we like. And we, you know, we were a live band. So we, we, that was our first initiation. It was like, let's, let's do it live. So what stopped it from becoming a full, fully developed kind of project? I think probably Jamie quitting Islands shortly after the record came out and then me just focusing on Islands full time and Jamie and I just fell out for a few years. Um, and then he he moved to New York and was out of the band, but we decided let's pick this up and we made like a dozen or so beats that were cool, I thought. And then I was at a coffee shop in my neighborhood in Clinton Hill in Brooklyn where I lived and I saw LP there and I was like, hey man, I'm a fan of yours. And 
he was a fan of the unicorn. So then he was like, come by my studio this afternoon and work on this thing. And then that thing turned into starting a project together. And we made a bunch of songs and we just never got around to finishing them. Did and you guys have a name for that at we all? We did. It was called Stepson. Okay. <laughs> Stupid. But <laughs> we went, we were, that was a dumb game. The like finding a name game is the worst. Yeah. You can't get out of it. It's like a bad trip. And then one of the tracks that we did for Stepson ended up on his last solo record. The uh, Cancer for Cure? Yeah, okay. called Stay Down. So we produced that track together and I sang the hook and all that jazz. You know I get down, I'm a downer, heart pounder, LOLA, smelling like salmon, friendly forecast, others dressed to the nines like a target, dressed like a bullseye from a blind archer, part of a piranha, swimming with a blood chum water, lock in the darkness, watching, I got this boombox, burn a boy, hot shit, burn like a LA sunset. Tell me about uh, the name Nick Diamonds. In the unicorns, you guys all had like stage names, mm-hmm. I guess that's the way. Yeah, that. we did, we did. I guess I named everybody. I christened everybody. <laughs> and no one named me, so I had to name myself. Dictator and, from the start. <laughs> yeah, I can't help it. But, uh, yeah, Alden, Alden, we named him Alden Ginger because Elvis's last girlfriend when he died was Ginger Alden. Hmm. Uh, Jamie was Jem Tambor. Like, Jamie looks like Jem and Tambor is drums. It was stupid. Like, I love the drums. <laughs> <laughs> Real basic, basic shit. But, uh. I took the name Nicholas Neil Diamonds. Mm. Neil was like my nick was like my second nickname. I see. And I guess it was like Neil Young, but Neil Diamond, and then Neil was spelled I E L. I mean nothing. It was just you know, I was like nineteen. Nothing <laughs> nothing makes sense. And I've I've often been like I hate this name, it's so stupid, it doesn't mean anything. But uh I've just sort of settled into it where it's like when I make solo records, this is the project name. I don't identify personally as Nick Diamonds, but I embody that for for specific periods of... Does that embodiment come with any kind of different, engaging any different aspect of yourself? I wanted it so desperately to have, to be able to to engage in like the total mythos of rock excess like the bowie thing is, yeah, is the ziggy stardust thing. you just have to do that early like he did it early enough he committed i was hemming and hawing for too long like when islands made the second record i was like i want to be taken seriously no more jokey like nick diamonds is a joke the unicorns made joke music the first islands record was too silly and light like i want to go hard and deep and psychedelic and proggy and i'm gonna use my government name and that's that and then i was like wait i need to lighten up but it was kind of too late like i couldn't make my mind up when you say you wanted to go harder or be taken more seriously like by whom by people who called my music whimsical and quirky i hated critics and even fans who like i felt like they misunderstood me like i was capable of i was capable of more what do what when they misunderstood you what did they think that you were like goofy hmm yeah are you goofy i was now i (laughs) I wish i could be (laughs) again i've really walked myself into a corner where my music is way too i mean i'm not trying to downplay my music but it's i got so self-serious i can't get out of it it was nice to have the unicorns reunite last year I wanted to keep doing it because it just, it was such a weight off my shoulder to be light and to be fun and funny and make these, these decisions that 
could have no consequence, right. you know? It was so nice. We did this show at the Forum, opening for Arcade Fire, and um, it was our first shows in 10 years. So we made this video of these people talking about the unicorns and how great they were, who clearly had no idea who the unicorns were. And uh, it was fun. And then we had this this fake tweets that we shot up on the screen <laughs> that were, like, sponsored by Budweiser. And, like, the forum was sponsored by Coors or something. So there was all this, like, brand contention. And I was just taking the piss on, like, corporate sponsorship. And we had a thing that was, like, tweet with this hashtag and it'll show up on the big screen. And, of course, it didn't because we just there was a pre-recorded video. And it was all these tweets, like... Who are these people? Where is Arcade Fire? I hate this band. <laughs> uh, Moby is here, or like I'm Moby. John Hamm was tweeting, like all these fake, dumb things. But then you'd look out into the audience, and people, people were trying to get their shit up on the screen. And it ended up like trending on Twitter because so many people <laughs> thought that it was going to go up on the screen in this room. So it was fun, little fun pranks. Like we've always been prankish and kind of impish. And Islands has mostly sidestepped that or avoided that. And you uh, do feel that a call to kind of get back into being a little bit more of a prankster? I, I would be nice. I, by my nature, I am quite prankish. I do like to cause trouble. It just I can't necessarily activate it or access it within islands, I guess. The style dictates something, and you just sort of lock into a sound or something. And I guess I just try to adhere to that for cohesive sake because I have so many other little projects. I, that makes that makes good sense. So then, in that sense, each project needs to have parameters or else it'll end up sounding like the other thing. Yeah, I guess. And then it'll be like, well, what's the, why don't you right. just call it this or why don't you call it that? Like, what's the point of anything? What's I try to make sense because otherwise it's chaos and my life is already chaos. I hear you. <laughs> Arcade Fire. 2001, 2002, we did a show with them in this loft in Montreal for like 30 people. And I just remember seeing them like, whoa, these guys are going to be famous. Like, I'm sure people say that kind of yeah, that was my shit next all question the time. For you, did you, would oh, you, it did was you like know? clearly, it was obvious from the start. And that was, they even had a different band, but it was just like the, the kind of um, energy that they had was like, whoa, this is palpable. And then when we, the Unicorns broke before they got their record out and so we took them out on a tour in the summer of 2004 across the u.s no, that, and that's when that first record of theirs came out right it came out a few months later okay. maybe even like a month later so it was right building up to their ascent and uh you could see at the shows like people were just freaking out over them didn't know who they were but mm -hmm. it was just like what is this so that was cool that I get to be a footnote in <laughs> their career. I mean, because they're absolutely huge now. Yeah. Um, did Did you have ambitions of being that big? Yeah. It's abstract to be like, I want to be that big. I want to be that beloved and capture people that way. But I don't 
want to do the things that I think I have to do. And I don't necessarily think they did. I, of maybe, course. Maybe they fluked. But I have never really... Yeah, if I really ask myself, what do I want out of this? Like, of course I want all of the accolades and the glory, but I want to be happy doing right. what I want to do. And there's no way I could compromise that to sell a few more records. Like, I'm, I'm not content with where I'm at, but I'm so content that I'll die knowing that I've made decisions that I can live with. Now, I've got integrity is what I'm saying. <laughs> And dignity. When you were a kid, or and, and I know you met a couple of your bandmates when you were like in high school, mm-hmm. did you foresee having like a cool adult life? I don't think I got that far with that, with that thought, but I think I definitely, I remember thinking and saying to a friend, like, I'm going to do whatever it takes to make art for a living, mm-hmm. like just to make shit for a living. That's what I want to do. Whether it was like make comics and drawings or do film stuff or music stuff it was like that's this whatever one of those things or all of those things i want that's what i want did you go to schools that kind of nurtured that the public schools in canada are good but there was no real nurturing of any kind of creative outlet it was very I remember my parents, I bought a harmonica because I wanted to be a musician. I didn't know what else to play. And it was like a harmonica. That's something I can figure out. It seems easy enough. Like you just blow on it and it makes sounds. And I, I remember bringing it home and my parents were so shocked. They were like, what? You want to play music? Like we had no, we had no idea. We had nothing. Like they kind of laughed. It was like funny to them that I, that How I just. How were you? I was too old to be buying a harmonica i was uh <laughs> i was 15 that was kind of when i started hanging out with these kids who were in punk bands and i was like okay i want to do that punk harmonica punk harmonica <laughs> a nasty combination who you know when you had those thoughts of i'm going to do what it takes to make art for a living like who were you inspired by it was everything it was like kind of good stuff and bad stuff like david lynch obviously right. and um John Waters mm. and Jodorowsky and Wes Anderson, Christopher Guest. Uh, the quirky stuff. <laughs> whimsical stuff. Yeah. And then like tricky, like I first got into kind of electronic music because I was hanging out with this guy who made weird like Aphex 20 kind of stuff and I really wanted to do that. So yeah, just like trying to make weird electronic sort of stuff and like Boards of Canada. Right which I heard recently in a, in a Uber or a Lyft or something. And it like blew my mind. Cause I hadn't heard that record music as the right to children in like 16 years. And it just flooded. It just flooded me with like, Oh yeah, this is what, I, this is where I started. This was like what I wanted to do was just make weird tripped out, like electronic stuff. I had no idea. I had no tools. I had no access, but that's what I was trying to it's do. Funny. I had the same feeling uh, yesterday. Huh. When I realized that uh, Company Flow's first record was on Spotify now. Oh, yeah. And I played it, and I was like, yeah, this is like, I used to go crazy on right. the train listening to right. this and like, like trying to understand how people made beats that sounded 
like off and on at the same time right, right. all of these sounds and like oh one of them just raps about graffiti all the time <laughs> <laughs> like this is you know the same kind of like mind-blowing i have to do this i have to mm-hmm. like understand how this is done mm-hmm. kind of experience i have to stop being a passive uh, receptacle and start being an active yeah. Participant. I want to be involved in this. Yeah. yeah, yeah. When was the first moment you can remember where you were like, okay, like I'm, I am doing it now. I think it was in Boston. I don't remember the day of the show, but I remember the day we had a record come out in November. Pitchfork gave it a nice review, and then in January we started this North American tour, and we played this show the night before in Montreal, and it was like a lot of people came, but it was this hometown show, and it was great. And then we bought this shitty van for like a thousand bucks, this like a Econoline thing. And it, we drove it to Boston and it died on the way. And we had a tow truck tow us to the venue in Boston. Mm. And we pulled up to the venue and there was this huge line out the door. And uh, we got out and we were just like, hey, um, what is what are you guys in line for? Like, we were like, oh man, what's, there's some other show that's like popular. And obviously they were like, no, it's not obviously, but you know where I'm going with the story. Mm-hmm. They were like, we're going to see this band, the unicorns. And, uh, it was like, what, this is crazy. And then that was kind of the beginning of this feeling like, oh, we can, we can do that. Like we can, this can be sustainable. That was really where I was like, okay, I'm in. Do you have any space in your mind for like the concept of like a rock star? Um, but the concept of it externally or being one being one no I'm too Canadian and <laughs> and self-effacing and shy and and self-deprecating I think to really get involved in the moment on stage I can kind of be a bit of a clown and ham it up in that way but the day-to-day the work that you have to do the maintenance the maintenance that's is real. man I can't that's so real Man, the maintenance. <laughs> I don't have the energy. That's so funny because that reminds me of like people on social media. They'll say something to you that lets you know they clearly have no idea what it is that you do all day. You know what I mean? They don't mm. understand how much mundane emailing and paperwork yeah. and you yeah. know and all of this yeah. stuff. You administrative have, stuff. Yeah, the administrative stuff. Yeah. Like there's just no way to like have people understand what that is because yeah. it's not cool. You know, what and I mean? you don't really want them to see that. Right. We're almost showing too much with all of our social media yeah. overshare. Like we almost, I loved being sixteen and being obsessed with a band and having no way to reach them. Right. That was, I didn't love it. I fantasized about seeing them hitchhiking on the side of the road or whatever, like Perry Farrell of Jeans Addiction <laughs> or something. Like just, oh, if I ever got a chance to meet him. And now it's like all these people. You can just send a dumb tweet. And they can see it. You have to either create a fake persona mm-hmm. to get away from it, or you have to literally get off the grid. And then at this point, people talk about you like you're genuinely insane mm-hmm. <laughs> if, you, if you're not reachable mm-hmm. or public via yeah. one or two of those means. Yeah. Forget not having a cell phone, not having a, a Twitter account. It's right. just like, well, what are we going to do here, you know? You did the music for Serial. Yeah. Man, <laughs> that's like super awesome. They asked me to do it and it was that simple. I said yes and then it happened. They sent me the pilot episode and I listened to it and got a feel for the sensibility of the show and then kind of wrote to that. But I wasn't like, 
okay, when this guy says mm -hmm. this, I'm right. going to bring in this blink blink sound. I did create a, like about 15 pieces of music for them to use at their discretion, and that's what they did. And it was great. The theme song people seemed to really like. Did you listen to the show? I did. Uh, I didn't actually get to the last episode. Okay. You, I got fatigued. I hear you. Yeah. It seems like the kind of thing. It's like very dramatic and heavy. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot. It's like microscopic in detail. So you're just pouring over these proper nouns. <laughs> <laughs> I lose it uh, at that level. Pouring over proper nouns. You're giving me a lot of little verbal tidbits to chew on uh -huh. in this conversation. That's really cool. <laughs> Um, something that must have been fun, and I'm, you know, must have been because I'm projecting, thinking that it was probably fun, was the, uh, do they know it's Halloween? So fun. Oh my God. So fun. Once a year, on a spooky night, it's Halloween, and what a fright. Young boys and ghouls, in ghoulish disguise, they cover the skin, conceal their eyes, but great mistakes will be held when the ghosts are by it's Halloween. So this thing is Arcade Fire, Elvira, Thurston Moore, David Cross, Beck. I mean, who goes on? I know, yeah, it goes on for like a full <laughs> paragraph, just people's names. Yeah. I mean, how did it come about? Whose idea was it? It was mine. I wanted it to be a unicorn's single. Uh, oh, okay. okay. So it was back in the unicorn's days. It came out in 2005, but in 2003, we were heading to Australia. Oh, no, 2004, sorry, in December. It was our final tour. We spent two weeks not speaking to each other. The entire time in Australia, me and the other singer did not talk once. It was so toxic and poisonous. And we broke up as soon as we got back to North America. How did it get that way? I mean, just I as a quick know. departure. Just, 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 I guess it was just a difference of opinion of how we wanted to make music and how we wanted the music to be heard. I wanted many people, as many as possible, to hear it. And not make crazy compromises either, but just allow it to happen. So it's a basic sort of philosophical impasse. Right? Yeah, I think so. There was not much that could be done. But on the plane, I was trying to think of creative ways to be to make another move. And like I wanted to make the next record just like a just a board game. Like it would be a vinyl thing, you'd open it up and it was like a dumb game you could play. <laughs> and this other idea I had was do a charity song taking the piss out of Do They Know It's Christmas, which right. was this offensive, pandering <laughs> song with all these rich people talking about how people in Africa, which is the most broad stroke, <laughs> don't know what Christmas is, poor them. And it's just it was just offensive on so many levels. And the comp the the group, the 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 band they put together was called Band-Aid, which is like the most perfect metaphor because right. it was just, it was a Band-Aid solution. It's like Here's this one-time influx of cash. You know, we feel good about ourselves. The end. And, uh, you know, it was a lot of money, but so they did good. But <laughs> way more than I've ever done. So I was trying to just riff on that. I thought it was funny, and I thought it would be a funny concept to do, say, do they know it's Halloween? Like, do they know how bad we have it? Mm. In, um, in America, we have something called Halloween where... There's ghouls, there's goblins, there's razor blades and apples. <laughs> there's scary shit. And they don't even know. The people, not just in Africa, but in Asia and all other parts of the world, like we are the ones who have it really bad. So I had that idea. And then the unicorns broke up. And I was like, okay, 
I'm still going to do it. And I got my friend, uh, my friend Adam and I, Adam got on board. He's a writer, a great writer. He wrote a book called The Fruit Hunters. That's really awesome about fruit smuggling, uh, international fruit smuggling. Highly recommend it. Okay. We got together and we, we wrote the song together and the lyrics and we just reached out to people crazy. Like we went as high up as Kanye. Yeah. We went Danzig. We, we wanted everybody, you know? And we got some cool folks, you know, we got Elvira, like yeah, it was we got crazy. to hang with Elvira and she was so cool and so very beautiful. I bet. Yeah. 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 Cassandra. <laughs> <laughs> that's a real name. <laughs> I think that's, that's all the stuff that I wrote down in my book to ask you, man. Um, is there anything else you want to tell people? No, no. Just be nice to me. That's good. And I'll be very, nice to you. That's very I important. won't be nice to you, actually. Yeah, it's probably going to be nice to you. I'm actually a nice guy. I'm yeah, actually really pretty nice guy. Pretty nice guy. Yeah. That's going to be on my tombstone. <laughs> PNG. <laughs> this was so much fun. Yeah, thank dude, you. Uh, it was thank awesome. You, thank, thank you for, for having uh, me. Thanks for taking the time, man. Yeah, of course. I really appreciate it.